Monday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Our first show of 2022. So Happy New Year officially to all of you tuning in right now. Maybe you heard from us the last uh, couple of nights. Last night specifically, our first broadcast of 2022 as the Toronto Raptors got a second straight victory with their win yesterday over the New York Knicks. And we brought in the new year on New Year's Eve with another broadcast. And that one, a victory over the Los Angeles Clippers. So we've been on the air a lot the last few days, Jonesy. Letting go of 2021, thankfully, and bringing in 2022, hopefully with better vibes and a better future ahead for all of us, both on the floor, off the floor, in everyday life, etc. But for the Toronto Raptors specifically, certainly good vibes right now. Uh, even when we focus specifically on last night and not just the New Year's Eve victory over the Clippers, last night, not only the win, but for the most part, a couple of bodies still missing, and with no disrespect intended, the key bodies, the most important bodies, back in the lineup, back healthy for the first time all season, for the first time ever this season, Nick Nurse with his top eight available, his top rotation available. We got to look at the starting five of that smaller sort of hybrid unit, all of us that were guessing and prognosticating back in training camp, excuse me, back in the preseason, et cetera. Are they going to go with Achua? Are they going to go with Birch? Might they go small? Suddenly Scotty Barnes comes on, and yep, they are going small. Van Vliet, Trent. Barnes, Siakam, Ananobi, and then that sets up various hybrid lineups with a bunch of 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", dudes guarding multiple positions and, and playing different slots, and we're starting to get a sense of what this Raptor team might or could ultimately look like. Yeah, um, you know, you and I pointed it out uh, yesterday afternoon at one point, um, you know, they had on the floor, and, and I think Nick talked about it in his uh, newser, they had uh, the start of the second quarter. They had like Boucher, Barnes, Achua, Ananobi, and I think Mihailuk was the, the the other guy on the floor. And every guy was between, you know, six six eight and six ten, and they were they were really difficult. They didn't really have a point guard. Fred was it was at a time when Fred was resting. And, you know, they were able to push the ball, still get stuff. They, they actually had like an 8-0 run. Uh, it turned into like a 15-1 run to start the quarter. And uh, in a big-picture big view, Eric, um, the NBA being the extreme copycat league that it is, you're looking for something different. It's not necessarily innovative or revolutionary, but it's just different. And I, I think of Toronto the last little while. People scoffed at Nick Nurse when he played box and one in the NBA Finals, right? Remember Steph? Oh, janky defense. And people look at him like, hey, man, you don't, you don't play box and one in the NBA Finals. Like, that's, that's high school stuff. Well, why not? It works, right? It's like years ago, people would say, come on, man, you don't wear jeans or you don't wear... You know, your running shoes with your dress pants? Well, why not? It's comfortable and, you know, it's, it's, it's become fashionable. I'm making it fashionable and my running shoes, you know, are, I don't know, if you, if you can afford it, my running shoes are Gucci or Prada and they're expensive and they're like, and, and all of a sudden it becomes accepted. So I right. look at the Raptors where people say, well, you know, and we still have fans saying this to us on Twitter. Well, get a true center. Well, you don't need one. You don't need one. 
You don't need this big, slow, hulking guy that when the trend is towards switching, he can't guard anybody on the perimeter. And when the game is going up and down, he's in the center circle trying to point himself in the right direction as to which way the play is going. Like, so the Raptors are looking for something different. And I think that they're, they're finding it. And all that being said, Eric, I was, I was really combing the numbers. And I look at Toronto's play. They're not going crazy with three-point shooting. They're, they're in the bottom third of three-point uh, shots attempted per game. The last two games, they've outscored their... The, the, the differential in the paint has, has been like plus 10 and plus 16. So you're, you're scoring in the paint. Um, you know, you've you had a positive rebounding margin. Pascal had 14 rebounds yesterday. That's... That's almost half of New York's entire total. So they're doing, you know, conventional, quote, traditional stuff with a different lineup and still getting it done. So I guess my point is, in a league where everybody wants to copy stuff, the Raptors continue to say, well, we're not going to copy that because it might not work for us. We're going to try this. And I just can't wait till they get fully healthy and all those guys get in shape because this... Uh, like this team could, they really could make some noise. I don't think we're necessarily talking about a championship right now, but the East is so wide open. You come together playing your style and it's unique. You never know. Well, and to your point, um, entering the show today, entering this very conversation, this very second right now, the Toronto Raptors, uh, they'd be in the play in tournament. Granted, we still have more than half of a season to go, but they are point zero one, if my math is right. Or if my yeah, I believe it's point zero one behind the Boston Celtics. The Celtics at eighteen and nineteen have played four more games than the Toronto Raptors because of all the postponements and COVID issues and whatnot the Raptors had. So Toronto has played only thirty three games. The Celtics have played thirty seven. Uh, Boston at eighteen and nineteen has a four eighty six winning percentage. The Raptors have a four eighty five. The seventh seed is nineteen and eighteen. So the Raptors are technically only a game back and only one back in the loss column, as you like to look at all the time, of the Charlotte Hornets. And, in fact, if you look ahead, the Philadelphia 76ers, who have played two more games than the Raptors, have three more wins but only one less loss, and they are the sixth seed. So there's certainly opportunity for the Raptors to make a run, and jump up in the standings. Because I'll say this, Jonesy, the East continues to remain wide open, but at the same time, it's getting a little bit tighter in that it was a bunch of teams below 500. Now, most of the teams yeah. that are in that play-in and in those final couple of playoff spots are right around that 500 mark. You know, the Knicks now, after losing yesterday to the Raptors, are three below. Hey, they could go on a run. They could get back up there. The Atlanta Hawks are three below, and they have sit in the 12th seed. They certainly, as they get healthy and come out of COVID, which ravaged their team, could go on a run. But I think it's starting to show that when the dust settles, you're going to have to be at or above 500. I don't think we're going to see a situation where you're sliding in three, four, five games below 500. I think it's going to be right around that mark. And that might be because we're seeing teams up there that we didn't necessarily anticipate being up there, most notably being the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are still five games above 500 and still the fifth seed in the East. So things are starting to find their watermark, I think, as we approach the midway point of the season. Yeah, the, I, I, basically you've got 12 teams for the 10 spots. I really think that Indiana's yeah. 
Indiana sliding out of it. And, you know, but even Orlando at 7-30, and 30, they gave Boston, they've, they've lost five in a row. They gave Boston a run for their money yesterday. Uh, you know, it was an overtime loss by Jamal Mosley's young Orlando team. And, um, uh, you know, to your, to your point, Eric, uh, it's, it's, so, it's so tight. Uh, and and the infighting and people are I know there's a lot of people that say wow I don't look at the standings until you know all-star break or whatever I'm like hell no I look I refresh those things all the time (laughs) and I want to know it's like looking at how much money do I have in the bank like let me let me check my balance you know if you're on a tight budget and it's the same thing for me I I'm always kind of you know I wouldn't say I had them memorized, but you're kind of peering at the standings and looking ahead and looking at the schedule, and it's part of it. And I mean, the way I look at it is, if I'm if I'm out for a run and I know my route, and I want to beat my best time, I have benchmarks. I should be at this point at this time. Oh, I'm at this point and I'm ahead of the time. Okay, maybe we got something going here. So I personally, it may not mean anything. But I always kind of like to know the lay of the land. And, and, and like you, you know, like I was always taught in sports, I'm looking at the loss column. You know, I, I am. The Raptors have two fewer losses than Boston and one fewer loss than Charlotte and Washington and only one more loss than Philadelphia and Cleveland. And mm-hmm. when all the games shake down, it's it, we'll see what happens. So... Um, you know, we're, 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 you know, we're, we're coming up to turn the corner at the, at the halfway mark and start bringing it home. Uh, I just hope the Raptors can be healthy enough and, and avoid protocols and major injuries and keep guys in the lineup. Boy, they, they were really good yesterday. I know it's only New York, but they did some really, really good things yesterday. Well, and here's the other thing too, before we go on to yesterday specifically just to kind of finish the point on the Raptors and getting healthy and their their record and 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 where they could hopefully end up being let's say when the dust settles in a week let alone two weeks let alone the end of this month there is a winnable ball game coming up in their next one on Tuesday that's not to say that they will win got to go out there and play San Antonio's no slouch when you factor in at the end of the day the talent they have, let alone the coach they have. But they're the 11th seed in the West. They're seven below 500. That's one that you've got to be circling on your schedule if you're the Raptors saying we're on our home floor, whether there's fans in the joint or not. And, yes, we're going to get to that. That's a game that we need to get and a chance to get to 500. But after that, Jonesy, Milwaukee, Utah, Phoenix, three of their next four with a game against the Pelicans sandwiched in between the Jazz and the Suns. So, if you don't take care of business, I'm not saying that those are all automatically going to be losses. The Raptors have proven they can hang and they can fight with some of the best in the league. But that three out of four against the Bucks, Jazz, and Suns, that is a tough, tough stretch. And, oh, yeah, by the way, coming up later on this month, another game against the Bucks. You've got a game against the Heat. You're going to Dallas. Uh, you're going to see Brooklyn. You're going to see the Heat a second time. So this is not going to be an easy month by any means and you do have a bunch of road games coming up but to me the Raptors finally starting to take care of business on their home floor and that's got to be a key they sit a game below 500 at home now and they're even on the road at seven and seven and if they can start getting that home record back to where we are used to seeing it that could be a huge factor because Scotiabank Arena 
previously Air Canada Centre, has been such a weapon for Toronto for so many years, and it really hasn't played out that way thus far this season, but it is of late. And maybe that's where we segue Jonesy into yesterday and into the previous game against the Clippers. Even in an empty building, the Raptors are starting to show that home court means something, and they're kind of rallying around one another right now in the face of no fans. Yeah, um, you know, you heard Nick talk about it yesterday, and he, he laughed uh, after he, he, he let the line out, or he said, uh, he said, hey, sometimes you got to make your own fun. And, and we noted it on the broadcast yesterday, too, where um, the arena's empty. I mean, they're friends and family, and if again, if we sat in our seats, you know, probably 10 minutes before the game, uh, you could literally have counted the number of people in the stands. Um, and a building that is is normally full of energy, and it's and it's weird for us too. I mean, you walk in, and I mean, we've been there on non. We go to the arena a lot. We've been there to you know record stuff and for practices and news conferences and stuff. And but to have that feeling on a game day, and actually have a game in the arena, not like last year where we were broadcasting from the weight room, the, the workout room upstairs that was uh, a makeshift radio studio. But to know that there's an actually a game in the building and walk in that day and there's no buzz. As Nick says, there's no juice in the building. Like you're walking the concourse and all the concession stands are closed and there's no, you might run into the odd security person and, you know, the gates to certain sections are closed. It's just... It's just a weird feeling. And then, you know, you, you get into the, you take your tests, you get into the bowl, and there's guys working out, and you think, like, oh, okay, like, it feels like for a 7.30 game, it feels like, oh, yeah, it's, it's 5 o'clock, and, you know, the guys are out here getting their work in early, and the fans will file in, and, and then you realize, no, we're, we're, we're an hour away from the game. <laughs> and it's just... It's just different to have the building with no energy like that. And I said to somebody, wow, this, man, this feels like the bubble. And, and a couple people around the team said, no, the bubble was tight. The walls were tight. The, um, everything else was, was kind of on lockdown. They said, this feels more like Tampa playing to a kind of half-empty arena or ma- manufacturing your own energy. And, you know, back to where I started, that's what the bench did last night, Eric. You could, we could hear them up yelling and, uh, you know, exhorting teammates and, and encouraging them because you got to do it yourself. I, I said on our broadcast, it's like Little League Baseball when you're in the dugout and it's, you're the team making noise. You're, you're talking, you're chirping at the pitcher and, and you're, you're making all this noise and stuff <laughs> because that's what it is. You, you have to do it yourself. And, uh, um, you know, I hope the Raptors, when they go on the road and play, uh, in in full arenas, we'll still be able to feed off the energy of the arena, just having it there because you don't have it at home. Well, one of the guys that wasn't part of the experience last year in Tampa uh, was a man who joined us on our post game show last night, Scotty Barnes, with an impressive. Uh, 
performance over the Knicks yesterday in his return to the lineup. Uh, he was out with health and safety protocols, but then missed the previous game as well with right knee tendonitis. He had a little bit of a, a wrap, some athletic tape on that left knee, or excuse me, right knee yesterday. Uh, finished the ball game though, 13 points, four rebounds, two of five from distance as he and, uh, continues to improve his three-point shooting. He joined us on our post-game show. We wanted to play it for you because it's only about a minute, maybe 90 seconds. And one of the topics he discussed was the energy, the bench, the empty building, etc. So let's play that for the folks right now, Jonesy. Our conversation, uh, well, I don't know, what, about uh, 16 hours ago or so with Scotty Barnes. Great to chat with you, Scotty. Good to see you back out there on the floor. And I'll, I'll say this. It's always fun when you win. But at the same time, it looked like guys were simply enjoying themselves today. There seemed to be a good camaraderie and chemistry amongst the crew today. Uh, I would just say we're just trying to give it energy at all times, you know. Ain't no people in the stands to just give us that energy that we always have. Uh, so we're just trying to stay consistent with our energy on the bench, no matter if we're uh, playing or not, or on the floor or not. Uh, we noticed that. The guys on the bench really, really giving you a jolt. Scotty, how did you feel? You come out. I know you're used to playing every day, and you're off with the knee, all this other stuff going on around the team, not being able to practice regularly. Nick gave you a, a quick shift the first time, and then he left you out there longer. How, how did you feel out there physically? Uh, I felt pretty good. I uh, felt like my win was there. Uh, I didn't really get so tired when I was out there on the floor. Uh, it was just good to be back out there on the floor playing. Scott, you guys a game below 500 now, chance to get back to 500 on Tuesday. Finally healthy now as well, for the most part. It seems like you've got pretty much the full complement of guys. What do you make of this sort of unofficial second half here, the calendar flip and the run that you guys might be able to go on? Uh, we just got to lock in and stick to the keys every single game. Uh, I think that's what's really just going to do it for us, us trying to stay together. Uh, just keep building on what we got. Appreciate the time, Scotty. Thanks Thank for you, joining Scotty. us today. Appreciate it. There is Scotty Barnes. He got our conversation after the victory for the Raptors last night, yesterday afternoon, I suppose, uh, over the New York Knicks, the rare afternoon tip-off for Toronto. I love those 3 o'clock, 3.30 tip-offs, even going back into the day, Jonesy, with those 1 o'clock tips as well. Home in time for dinner last night and a little Sunday night football. We'll talk football later on in the show as well. But again, Barnes yesterday, 13 points and 4 rebounds. But not to be forgotten or, or to not be talked about, at least two other big performances yesterday. Again, the team overall solid in the win. Uh, Chris Boucher off the bench with 12. OG Ananobi with 14. They all came in the first quarter, though, and he kind of struggled the rest of the afternoon. But you mentioned earlier, Pascal Siakam, 14 rebounds, adding 7 assists, 20 points in the ballgame as well. Had a couple of steals as well. But Fred Van Vliet, back-to-back 30-plus for the first time in his career. First time a Raptor has done it in almost a year. 35 points, 5 assists, 5 rebounds. I said it on the broadcast, hashtag NBA All-Star. Freddie, 11 of 17 from the floor, was outstanding against New York, equaling the performance on New Year's Eve against the Clips. Yeah, he was, he's, he was, he was really good. I, you know, the, th- the thing is, it, it sounds... It sounds crazy, and it's the obvious, but um, he's getting help now. Uh, there, there are healthy bodies back, and now other teams have to start. Uh, you know, they, they can't just key on Fred. Uh, you know, Pascal was again. I thought he was terrific yesterday. You know, Scotty's back. You know, he he knocks in a couple of threes yesterday. There's other people to help Fred out, and Fred's game isn't changing. You know, he's steady. He's good with the ball. Uh, he, he makes plays. Uh, we've seen over the last three, four years how he's increased the range and the confidence on his three-point shot. I mean, the last two games, he's had 14 assists and one turnover. 
one turnover in in you know in the last two games compared to 14 assists with the amount of time he's on the floor handling the ball the responsibilities for running the offense so yeah eric and and you know that's what i've said fred fred's if the if the team wins enough fred's going to be voted in by the coaches and to me that's almost well not almost it is better than the popularity contest that is fan voting Fan, the, they always say the All-Star game is for the fans. Okay, so let them vote. And they finally, you know, listen to what we were talking about 15, 20 years ago about making some, you know, waiting the votes. Like, you know, the fans worth so much, you know, just not a popularity contest. But it still boils down to that. And the Raptors are never going to get, well, rarely going to get that. Uh, was Vince, the last guy that got, got voted in, the top vote getter from Canada, um, maybe the only guy. And so when you get picked by the coaches, that to me says that they know who's giving it to people every night. They know who they have to game plan for and who they have to stop. So, uh, you know, Fred's been terrific. He, he has been all year. It's just a matter of the team wins enough to get him into the All-Star game. You know, you and know, I feel it, the same it, about Pascal, too. Yeah. Yeah, listen, I mean, we, we said it a couple times on the show. In fact, we were talking about it, dying on that drum a couple weeks ago. His numbers right now are right in line with, if not better than, his all-star season. And I think that's where, here's my take on this. And, I, and Jonesy, I'll be the first to admit if I'm wrong, because we're, what, about a month away from it, roughly. I think Fred's going to get in, barring, you know, a major dip, knock on wood. I think Fred's going to get in. I think the record will ultimately maybe bite Pascal more because I don't know if you'll get two guys in if you're just above 500 or at 500 or a couple or a few below. You know what I'm saying? But I think you can get one. And I, here's, my, here's my case with this as well. The thing that could ultimately bite Pascal is there's a lot more competition, in my humble opinion. Look at or think about the point guard position specifically in the Eastern Conference. And I'm not going to go through every single team here. But as good as Lonzo Ball has played, I think the Bulls are probably going to have Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan there. I don't know if they're getting three All-Stars. Brooklyn has been without Kyrie Irving. I don't think there's a point guard there of an All-Star caliber. Milwaukee, yes. Miami, Kyle Lowry's had a good year. Has he had an All-Star year? It's debatable. He's been good. I don't know that the coaches are putting Darius Garland in from Cleveland. Philadelphia? Charlotte with Mello, LaMelo Ball, maybe. Washington, Boston, New York, maybe Atlanta, even though they're in the 12th seed right now with Trey Young. Point being, I don't think there's a ton of competition right now for elite all-star level point guards who also happen to be arguably the best or the most important players on their respective teams. And that's, to me, where Fred Van Vliet slides in. Because if he's not the most important, he's right in line with 1A, 1B with Pascal Siakam. And he's had to carry the load a lot this year as Pascal was trying to make his way back into the lineup. There's a lot of other good guards. As I say, let's use Lonzo Ball as a prime example. Having a solid year on the number one seed, the Chicago Bulls. But he's got two other dudes beside him in DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine that are playing at all-star level. I'm not sure that Freddie's got that and certainly doesn't have the same type of team that Chicago has gone out to proven to be thus far. And I think that maybe helps Van Vliet's case to make him stand out even more so as a guy that even if the record isn't as you know shiny and pretty as others, 
by the time the, the voting ends, that to me could be what ultimately still propels him because the coaches will respect that type of play, that type of production, that type of role he has with this team. Yeah, you make a good point there, Eric. You do. And, and uh, you know, shiny is a good word that I can and key on there that you mentioned. they got to shine the record up. Uh, the Raptors, yep. they, you know, they have – you still have that five, five weeks till the All-Star game. Uh, the voting probably ends in, you know, three, four weeks. I, I don't know the exact date and then the coaches. And, you know, it, it also depends on the coaches too. Some coaches take it really seriously. Like they get their whole staff together and they sit down and they debate who they're going to vote in on, you know, at which position for, for the All-Star game. And then there are other coaches that say, you know what, um, realistically, my assistants do most of the, the grunt work, the film work, the game planning. Uh, I give it to them and let them do it. And I'm not saying the assistants don't take it seriously, but um, they're not the head coach. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens when it's, when it's all said and done. Uh, but, you know, if the Raptors can, Raptors can shine that record up, uh, I think it augurs really, really well for Fred. Staying on topic with Fred Van Vliet for a second. Again, 35 points in the victory yesterday over the New York Knicks back on Friday on New Year's Eve, the victory over the Los Angeles Clippers. He had 31 points. Freddie joined us on Friday night, and we wanted to play a portion of that conversation conversation for you as well. We already uh, played Scotty Barnes for you, but we got into very briefly, because, again, it's a post-game interview. We're not, you know, digging into the nuts and bolts in a in a 10-minute, you know, feature interview or something. We've got limited time, and we just asked him as well about the empty building, about the lack of fans, and just kind of the, the state of the Raptor world right now uh, in the state of... Uh, how COVID is and Omicron and everything that's happening in Ontario. Uh, here are some of the comments right now in a, a quick portion of our conversation with Fred Van Vliet from Friday night. From Tampa to Toronto to full capacity to 50% capacity to nobody other than friends and family in the stands, this has been a hell of a year. How do you wrap it up? Your thoughts of what you guys have all been through the last 12 months? Don't forget Orlando. I don't know if that was 21 or not, but it felt like it. So don't forget Orlando. Oh, the bubble. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That wasn't too long ago. Um, but no, man, it's just, it, it takes all the business and it takes the, the, the show business out. The entertainment value is gone, but it's just, just hooping, man. You just got to go out there and hoop. And uh, that's what we get paid to do. Go out, put a professional effort together, and we're able to do that, come out with a win tonight. So, uh doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon here for us. So this is this is the new norm. We got to get used to it. When you look ahead to the first couple of weeks of the new year and, and the you know probably playing like this, I would say these are my words. I don't know if it's the right way they're doing things stateside, but I also don't know if this is the right way either. It seems like there should be a happy medium. How do you guys navigate through that, knowing that you are part of the Raptors and this is the way it is in this, and you're going to have to go in and out of full buildings to empty buildings and try and find your way through this on a personal and professional level well the only thing i do know is that we don't know anything at all that's all that's of us point. together yeah. so we're here in it uh let's use it to our advantage we're going to be super optimistic we're going to have a positive attitude about it and uh we don't make those decisions i'm not a politician or a healthcare professional uh, my job is to go out here and win basketball games and that's what we're focused on so um that's the best we can do 
It's a good answer, great answer uh, from Fred Van Vliet, Jonesy, because, you know, as much as we talk about it uh, and, and everybody has an opinion, at the end of the day, we aren't the experts. Speaking of which, oh, yeah, by the way, there is a press conference scheduled for the top of the hour, scheduled for 10 o'clock originally, moved to 11 o'clock. I'm sure it'll probably end up going at about 1130, but I, I, I digress. We will pass information along to folks on our show as it becomes available, as we are awaiting what many people are speculating uh, could be potentially us being scaled back into more lockdowns, whether it be with restaurants or bars and awaiting what might happen with school. There's some rumblings about uh, closures coming, maybe two weeks of either full closure or online for the next couple of weeks. So lots happening. But as it relates to the Raptors specifically, Jonesy, it's got to be weird for these guys to, I mean, listen, I'm texting with a guy who was in the building yesterday in Buffalo as the Bills are clinching a playoff spot in front of 70,000 people, albeit outside, yes, but in front of 70,000 people 90 minutes down the road, and we're broadcasting a game in an empty arena. And as I said to Freddie, my own political soapbox for five seconds is, I don't think what's happening stateside is correct, but I'm not sure what's happening here in this province is correct either. And 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 to me, as I said, I feel like there should be some sort of happy medium, but I, I don't really even know what that is. So that's that's my uh, my take. My expert analysis is basically, like Fred said, I don't know. Yeah, nobody knows, as he said. Uh, and, and we just we just wait. I just hope common sense prevails with uh, the decision making from the people up top. That's. That's all I can, uh, you know, that's all I can default to. Everybody likes to look at numbers and all this stuff. Like, look at the science uh, and then combine it with some common sense. And I, like, I'm going to jump on my soapbox. I, I, you want to keep people safe. Um, you don't want this thing to spread. You can't treat it frivolously. Um, you know, I, I think at some point we're, we are going to uh, treat it like the flu. And I don't know if that's being... Uh, dismissive myself I, I, I'm certainly not um, and it's not meant to be that way but at the same time I don't know how we have you know a number of people that we can count in the arena yesterday with only friends and family yet you know we, we pack <laughs> we pack 600 kids into a school put 60 on a bus sitting sometimes three to a seat um, you know, and I understand people say, well, mental health, it's good for the kids to be at school. Well, there's the other side of mental health, too, where some kids don't want to go into school. Wait, you're going to put me somewhere where I could get this and I could spread it to like my parents or my grandparents and they could get sick and die. Like there's that uh, there's that side of mental health, too. So uh, I just I just hope that everybody uh, takes in the research and follows the science uh, and, and then uses common sense uh, to make a decision. You know, we, we've. You know, we've, we've talked about it many times. I just, you know, just don't, don't try to get votes. Uh, don't listen to your high-powered friends that have influence in the election. Just do what's best for the greater good. That's all I'm, that's all I'm hoping that happens. And I'll say this before we step aside for a minute here, Jonesy. From a Raptor-specific standpoint, as it relates to the team and the lack of fans and basically the empty arena right now, as frustrating as that might be, and as I'm trying to find a better word than as bad as it might look, even though it's the safe or arguably smart thing to do, I have to assume, and I have, I've, I've heard this from one person I haven't heard from multiple, and the only reason I haven't heard it from multiple is because I haven't talked to multiple people because our interactions are, are nil, if not extremely limited now because of all the protocols and restrictions and whatnot. 
but I've heard from at least one person and heard rumblings otherwise too, that as tough as it is, as frustrating as it is, certain players, I won't say all, certain players and the organization in general would take this over Tampa. The weather might have been good in Tampa, but it was, as you noted earlier, it was an arena that wasn't full. It was a lot of fans that were cheering for the other team, not necessarily for the Raptors. It was a makeshift practice facility in a hotel ballroom or in multiple hotel ballrooms kind of attached together to give the Raptors two courts, two full-size courts, I believe. It was, yeah, the weather might have been nice, but it was living out of a condo or some short-term rental property. Some guys did or didn't have family and or close friends. Now, yeah, you're going on the road still, but you're at home. You can go home to your wife, your partner, your kids, your friends, your 5,000-square-foot home, your waterfront condo, your own car, your practice facility, your multi-million-dollar practice facility, the friendly confines of your home arena and your home locker room and everything about it. The only thing missing, with due respect, they're important, the only thing missing is the fans. Everything else is the comfort of home. And from an organizational standpoint, the cost, the cost alone says we might be not making money by having no fans, but we're not losing money by throwing out millions of dollars for said condos, short-term rental properties, hotel ballrooms turned into practice facilities, transforming and, 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 and moving an organization to a completely different country and city for an entire year. So from the cost standpoint alone, they'll take this. Yeah, uh, it's 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 home. It's there. It's where they, you know, it's where they are. It's where the franchise lives. So um, I, I just hope that we can, at some point, curb this thing to the point where the Raptors have, again, a, a level playing field with their fans being able to be in the arena and give them the energy that they deserve or they need to win games and make it difficult for the opponents i I know we got a break eric but you know all that stuff in the bubble we look back in retrospect and see well that was like playing in the schoolyard and there was no hostile environments and of course guys played better and all of those things change the game they're external factors and people say well you know it doesn't change again it does it does Uh, people people the fans impact the game they impact the referees they the the noise all of that stuff i mean for the people that couldn't see it yesterday you and i are in some arenas around the nba where we get to stand up to do the games because of where we're perched we sit second row courtside at scotia bank arena there was nobody behind us we did the game like you know we looked like the football crew we looked like a you know a, a national tv football crew standing up doing the game jackets open ties down And again, that happens because there's no fans in the stands. All right. We mentioned a little bit earlier the Chicago Bulls uh, briefly in our chat about the Toronto Raptors. The number one seed in the Eastern Conference. The Bulls have won seven in a row. We will talk about Chicago and also a pretty interesting personal story as well from Casey Johnson, longtime Bulls writer and now Bulls broadcaster as well from NBC Sports Chicago. He's up next on Smith & Jones. Seconds. 
Bulls look for the win. DeRozan to win it. DeMar DeRozan delivers. Back on Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. The Chicago Bulls and DeMar DeRozan specifically coming up with major heroics over the last two games for the Bulls. Buzzer beaters for DeMar in back-to-back wins against the Pacers and the Wizards on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Chicago getting set for their next game tonight when they host the Orlando Magic. The Bulls have won seven in a row entering action tonight. They are the number one team in the Eastern Conference and joining us on the line right now. He's been covering the Bulls a long time, national NBA writer and now broadcaster as well. And we, all, we can also say a legit broadcaster yeah. too because we'll yeah. tell that story in a second here. Casey Johnson joining us right now. Casey, thanks for the time today. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Hey, Casey. Casey uh, Jonesy, I'll let you take this here in a second. Yeah. But let's let's maybe let Casey tell the story to our audience. If Folks, if you didn't hear... Casey sort of thrust into action uh, for the first quarter and a bit of the second as well for the Bulls and Pacers. And Casey, I'll, I'll hand it over to you, but you've never broadcasted a game before doing play-by-play, but here you are seconds before tip-off or minutes before tip-off, and you're told, hey, man, you're being put into the spotlight. you got to go. How did this happen? Uh, yeah, it was quite the wild ride, and let's make it clear. Let's get one thing straight. Just like uh, Zach Levine told us on Media Day that uh, let's not get it twisted. DeMar DeRozan's still in the prime of his career. Let's not get it twisted. I'm not a broadcaster, okay? I'm a I'm a newspaper guy, man. I, I worked 29 years at the Chicago Tribune. Uh, I feel fortunate. A couple of years ago, I jumped over to NBC Sports Chicago to try some multimedia stuff, do occasional uh, pre-game sideline hits, et cetera. And that, that's been cool. You know, it's pushed beyond my comfort zone, give me something new to try in my 50s here. Uh, but, yes, in this day and age, we all know we have to remain flexible. So when Adam Amin, our wonderful play-by-play guy, got pulled for a funky test result three minutes before tip-off, our producer got in our headsets and said, we need you guys, me and Robbie Hummel, who, by the way, was also calling his first NBA game as a color guy. It's filling in for Stacey King, who's been in the protocols. Uh, we need you guys to broadcast the game. And for some ridiculous reason, I said, I'll take play-by-play. Now, I'll quickly just say this. I, I, I just grabbed the throttle and held on for dear life. So looking back on it, I called a radio game on TV. Man, I described every damn dribble handoff, every pick and roll, every shot. But I had a blast, and it was quite the wild ride and certainly a memorable experience. Well, Casey, you're, you're talking to two guys that have been tapped on the shoulder the same way this year uh, because of protocols, and, and we too are radio guys. And, and I'm, you know, I'm a little older than you, and that's the way I remember the game being called when you were a kid listening on the radio. Every dribble handoff, the, you know, the, the, the colors, the direction, the, the, everything that the people can't see, you're the eyes and ears. And... Eric and I both had to do TV this year too, being tapped on the shoulder, and it's it's different. It's it. You're right. It's very very different. And um, I, in in your piece, I read where you talked about the preparation. Um, I mean, you you know enough. You know the game well enough. You know the personalities well enough. I, I mean, I'm I'm sure maybe devoid of some numbers and and key stats, things like that might might not be there at the, at, at the tip of your recall, but you must have felt at least prepared in those ways to call the game because, I mean, you, you know this team like the back of your hand. 
Yeah, Josie, that, that's actually what I leaned on, and that's why I, I really, first of all, I didn't have time to be nervous, and second of all, I really was not nervous at all. I actually thought it was kind of comical, um, and I just kind of jumped right in. And you're right, I leaned on a few things. I know the game, and I know the team. I certainly know the team. I know the beat inside and out. So that's all I did. I just tried to set up Robbie Hummel with some um, thoughts, threw him a couple questions. Like I said, and it sounds like I'm being critical. I'm, I'm having fun with it. I mean, I... I I, I definitely did the best I could under the circumstances. If you're gonna if you're gonna over broadcast, I mean, why not describe too much action rather than too little action, right? So, um, you know, as far as the play by play, I probably over described. But in terms of the flow and the broadcast, I mean, there were moments where Robbie and I like legitimately connected. And, and I've obviously been around sports long enough and covered sports long enough that you know I, I know I have listened to enough broadcasts. I know kind of what to do. So. It, it felt natural, and i got to say, by like the start of the second quarter, I had slowed down. I was having fun. I was actually thinking of like some future things to throw Robbie's way, and then we got word in our headsets that Adam Amin was coming back. And I'll just close with this, and then we can move on to the Bulls rather than about me. But, uh, but uh, uh, let's just say it's a good thing Adam came back because me describing DeMar DeRozan's game winner would have been a disaster. <laughs> and that would have that not gone well. I would not have had that uh, the tool in the tool bag there. See, now, and I'll say this, Casey, you, you might have said that you worked in the newspapers for 29 years, but you're now you're even acting like a, a TV or a radio producer and director by, by, by dictating the conversation, by saying, hey, now we're going to move on. All right, so I'll, I'll follow your lead then. You're, you're, you're directing the show. We won't talk about it anymore. Let's talk about the Chicago Bulls specifically. And we're chatting with Casey Johnson, Bulls insider from NBC Sports Chicago, seven in a row in the win column. Uh, much like damn near every team in the league, unfortunately, Casey, uh, the Bulls somehow, some way, navigating their way through COVID protocols and guys in and out of the lineup and, and you know, half the roster, three-quarters of the roster being gone at one point. And yet here they settle uh, with the dust settled, 24-10, and 10, atop the East, a seven-game win streak, at least two, if not more, All-Stars, an MVP candidate. How have they patched this together? Yeah, it's a pretty remarkable story. To me, it's probably the biggest story in the NBA. And, um, and you know, it's it's just remarkable how seamlessly all these different parts have come together. And you got to give a lot of credit to Arturis Kardashovas and Mark Eversley, who I know your listeners know quite well uh, from his time up in Toronto. I mean, they just identified pieces that fit really well together. And I think the common theme is just it's a lot of people that have maybe achieved um, you know, individual successes to a certain extent, but other than DeMar and, and obviously Alex Caruso, who, you know, played a role on that Lakers championship team in the bubble, have never really got to the mountain type top. You got a lot of guys who have an underdog mentality. And also another common theme amongst all these guys is a really high basketball IQ. I mean, you look at a guy like Lonzo Ball, he's got a fantastic basketball IQ. DeMar is just so poised and so great under pressure. So, it's it's really uh, I've been as you mentioned covering the team a long time. It's reminding me a little bit of that ten eleven season when that team um, kind of came out of nowhere and won sixty two games in Tom Thibodeau's first year and Derrick Rose's MVP year. You've got star quality players like that team did in, in Rose and Dang and Noah in Vucevic, um, Levine and, and DeRozan, and then you just got a nice collection of players that play their roles at MVP level. I mean you're getting contributions all the way down to the 15th guy because they've had so many players in, in the protocols and including the head coach. I mean, Billy Donovan's gone in now for five games and 
Chris Fleming slides over and they go five and zero. Oh. Um, it's it's really a remarkable story, and, and all credit goes to, to the players and the coaches and, and the management figures. Why don't I, I won't use the broad stroke brush and paint all of us in the media? But why don't people in the media believe what their eyes are are telling them? You know the old line from the tuna from Bill Parcells: "You are what your record says you are." The Bulls are a good team, and. You know, we're, we're hearing these, we're looking at MVP ladders and, you know, here's my, here's my top five for MVP. And I ain't hearing DeMar DeRozan. And, and, you know, to me, I'm old-fashioned. One of the criteria is the team's record. Being the, all, the best or one of the best players on a winning team, to me, matters more than a guy who's putting up ridiculous number for a team who's in seventh or eighth place and people go well look at his numbers he's he's got to be the best player hey man if he was the best player his team would be winning more and i don't care who's around him and so i look at this this chatter about mvp granted we're almost not quite almost halfway through the year and nobody's mentioning demar and to me if he's not in the top two or three there's something wrong with your ballot right now yeah, and I'm, I'm with you. I, pl- I place a lot of emphasis on, on team record. And, um, I mean, if you look at the stats, I mean, he's got those two, Jones. I mean, he's fifth in the league in scoring. He's first in the league in fourth quarter scoring. Um, those those back-to-back buzzer beater, three-point winner, game winners are just ridiculous. And, you know, as you guys mentioned right now, they're, they're sitting atop the East. So he's clearly going to be an all-star again. Um, you know, he's, he's headed toward an all-NBA season. And, you know, at this rate, there, there are a lot of fantastic seasons going on in the, around the league between Curry and Durant and Giannis and, and Jokic. And, and you got to look at Phoenix and Chris Paul. But he's, he's putting so himself DeMars. in that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, and, and he's putting himself in that conversation. I don't think he'll win it, but I, I agree with you. I mean, he's certainly got to be on a lot of ballots by season's end. Casey, I know this is kind of uh, beating the dead horse here, but I'm going to ask the question anyways, or at least bring up the topic. Um, you know, it's revisionist history to some degree, but yet I'm sure you and uh, a lot of us were also talking about this in the off season. What were the Lakers thinking? Uh, you know, not bringing back Alex Caruso, let alone making more of a run at DeMar DeRozan, who clearly would have loved to have put on a Lakers jersey. I mean, the fact that both of those guys happen to be in a Bulls uniform right now, kudos to Chicago and great for the Chicago fans. But, man, both of those guys would look so good for the Lakers right now, and it looks like such a swing and a miss, or not even a swing, just a miss for the Lakers organization. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the scuttlebutt around the league and the people you talk to around the league, I mean, they clearly, you know, pivoted to Russell and, and, and made that decision to target Westbrook. And, and I, I can't speak to their books and, and their tax implications, other than I've heard that the Caruso signing would have created some tax headaches. So, I'm, I, you know, I don't cover that team. I can't speak to that. But you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the word around the league was that DeRozan was, was very close with the Lakers. And then, you know, Caruso was... Uh, always a LeBron James favorite, and look, LeBron. What LeBron James wants, he, he usually gets. So, um, you know, you're right. This this is this 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 league is about opportunity. You guys know that. And that, I'm going to go back to Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley when they made the decision to move on from Jim Boylan, not this past off season, but the off season prior. You know, they went through the process and interviewed ten assistant coaches, and then Billy Donovan, you know, unexpectedly lands on the market when he and Oklahoma City decide to part ways. And, you know, Arturis and Eversley are on a, a plane to Florida with, within, you know, 24, 36 hours and, and beating on Donovan's door. And 
that that marriage is, has been seamless and, and fruitful. So, you know, this is a, this is a management team that, that when they see opportunity, you can throw the Vucevic trade in there too. They aggressively pursue it. Uh, you can't fully judge all their moves yet. You got to see how it plays out. But one thing that you can judge is when they see an opportunity, they, they pursue it, they're aggressive and, and they get it done. And I would put Caruso and DeRozan in, in those uh, categories as well. Casey, about the management team, because I, I, you know, Eric and I have talked about this with, with, uh, with what's going on in Toronto here. The way that, you know, Masai's not afraid, and, and Nick Nurse as as a coach isn't afraid. You know, he does stuff that people look at and they go, "You can't do that," and he goes, "Why not? I think it might work." And then when it works, you know, I, we we cite the box and won in the NBA Finals. Like, you don't do that. Well, yes, you do, and they won. And now we we're seeing it all over the league. People playing these. These these defenses. Uh, would you call Arturis and, and Evs? Would you would you call them bold or, or or smart or give me a moniker for them and 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 kind of the way they're going about their management style? Yeah, I think I think I would confident just because they both have you know been uh, involved in different organizations and been in a lot of important roles, but never in these roles. And it almost feels guys like. They just were inevitably heading towards these positions and this partnership, and here they are. And they're just, you know, I don't, I don't know either of them well. I knew, I, I never met Mark Eversley when the Bulls hired him. I knew a lot of people, including you guys, that, that had, did know him and, and, and had met him and spoke very highly of him. Uh, I did know Arturis uh, a little bit from his time with the Nuggets. Um, but uh, so I don't know either of them incredibly well, just because, as you guys know, our, our uh, amount of casual time around, you know, team and players and coaches and executives in the age of COVID is, is different than, than usual from a media perspective. But my sense is they're just both very comfortable in their own skin. They're, they're just they're, they're not really swayed by outside noise. They, they have their beliefs and their convictions, and they that's all they focus on is the work. They don't really pay attention to much else. And so I just go with confident. I mean, I, that's, the, that's the vibe I've gotten in my interactions with them and certainly the vibe I've gotten from the moves that they've made. Hey Casey, we appreciate the time and the insight today. Good, uh, congrats on the on the little memory for you and the the uh, the dip the, the dip of the toe into the broadcast waters. Uh, enjoy the rest of the season with the Bulls. And hey, we still got a couple of Chicago Toronto games to make up. I'm not sure when they, when they're going to squeeze those in, but we'll figure it all out in the uh, in the coming months. All the best to you. Let the three of us just take over the airwaves that night, okay, guys? <laughs> take it easy. Uh, I'm, I'm down with it. I'm down with it. There you go. There's Casey right, Johnson from NBC Sports in Chicago. And I, I was actually looking at the schedule, Jonesy, and I thought there's a perfect chance to get one of those games in the one in Chicago right after the Raptors uh, play the Bulls in March. But then I looked at it and said, nope, that won't work because the Bulls play uh, on the night I was looking at circling. So I'm not sure when they're going to jam those things in. But it's going to be interesting for the uh, computer or the people to figure it out with multiple games around the league having to be cleaned up and made up in the coming months get it done get it done that's the only way to get it done we're going to get this break then and then come back with more smith and jones make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast please rate and review as well